Welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Pastor Lucas Miles, FacultySummit.org, author of The Christian Left, highly sought after speaker and writer. It's gonna be interesting. The topic is Jesus a Republican or Democrat? Now, I would submit in advance, he's he was neither, all right? But policies, values, what aligns with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party based on an analysis. So I'm up for that conversation any day. Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you for being on the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Let me first ask you this question before we go any deeper. Uh, which Jesus are we talking about? Are we talking about white Jesus or black Jesus? I am good. You, I'm glad you brought that up because there's actually multiple versions of Jesus. And I think it's really important to define that. I'm talking about the biblical Christ, uh, the Christ from the first century, the Christ that was born in Bethlehem, the Christ that scripture speaks of. Okay, so what was he a man of color or was he a white European? He certainly wasn't a white European. He was right. he was a he was a man of of uh, the Middle East. And he, would he, was, he was a man of what now? There. A, man, a man of color preacher, right? Right, Pastor. He was a man of color. He was a man of color, correct? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right, there we go. We can continue. So I don't want to presume what you know or believe about this particular topic. So if you would provide your analysis, and then I will opine. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think we're in agreement, at least at the, the initial uh, aspect of this. And I don't believe that uh, um, you know Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat. Obviously, uh, this concept of Republican and Democrat is a modern uh, uh, you know paradigm that we refer to in our country. I don't think it's applicable to uh, a first-century Israel. Uh, what what I believe about Jesus is that he is the embodiment of grace and truth that we see in him uh, the absolute uh, 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 picture of God. He is the fullness, the representation of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, 3 that he's the exact representation of God, in fact. And uh, he is God in the flesh. And so uh, God can't be defined by a political party. There's certainly those on the left that would love to uh, uh, you know, claim him as their own. And there's those on the right that would love to claim him on it as their own. But I believe that Jesus exists outside of those paradigms. And what the question is, is really how do we best align ourselves with his truth and his teaching? So let me ask you this, cuz I'm a man of faith myself. And I take these things very seriously. And I happen to actually lecture colleges, universities, and even some seminaries about the connection or the disconnect between good policy, spirituality, and politics. So you do agree that Jesus or Yahshua was in fact a person that had stated values, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. He had stated values. So that's something we can look at and define. Second, you would agree, because I can define this historically, politically, scripturally, or spiritually. I'm gonna stick with scripture for a moment because you referenced scripture. So I'm gonna utilize the context of what you submitted. You agree that scripture has stated values as well, correct? 100%. All right, and political parties also have expressed values, good or bad, they express their values. Am I right so far? Yes, sir. Okay, now the question is, are the expressed values of the teachings of Christ, regardless if you believe in them or not, are the expressed values of the teachings of Christ, 
are they more aligned to left leaning ideology or right leaning ideology? And I'm gonna read some scriptural context for you, pastor. Okay. All right, so let me go to Leviticus. Leviticus 25 says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and he shall live with you. You can take no interest of money. You shall not lend him money for interest, nor can you give him food for profit. I'm gonna show another text, James 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver will corrode. Um, we have another one, Proverbs 28.8. It says, whoever multiplies his wealth, by interest and profit, only gathers it for those who will end up being generous to the poor. Meaning they will not benefit from their own profits through interest. Tell me how that aligns to pro-Republican and pro-profit ideology. Hey, look, first of all, I'm glad that you read those verses. I mean, we're, at least I think we're in agreement that the Bible is absolute truth. It is the word of God. It is infallible. So let, is, let me go ahead and correct you on the record. So okay. I, do not, I do not believe that every word in the Bible is true in the sense of um, I have to get down with it. For example, when it says slaves obey your masters, that's yeah. in the New Testament and reference in the Old Testament. I don't give a damn what book said it, I don't get down with that. God gave me a brain before he gave me a book. I do believe there's inspiration by individuals who were inspired by divinity in order to write. But I know this about man and woman, we are all fallible and there's no perfection under this sun. So that's just giving you some context, but go ahead. I Pastor. appreciate that, I appreciate yes. that very much. And always appreciate your willingness to allow both sides to be shared. So yep. I love that about your program. Thank you. Um, so you know, regarding this, I personally believe that the Bible is inerrant. It is the word of God, every single verse. I think that the problem, when we look at passages like this, especially if we don't hold to the inerrancy of scripture, mm -hmm. is how do we know that the verses that you just read are ones that we can trust? And so that becomes, you know, we become the arbitrator or the arbiter of truth where we're deciding which verse is relevant and which verse isn't, which I think is one of the, the, the things that's a problem with progressive Christianity that I address in my book. Um, in regards to this, I, I think the other thing, you know, and you pointing this out, I, one of the places where this has gotten off track is that the government oftentimes is trying to do the job of the church. I believe that the church should be caring for the poor. The church should be caring for the sick. But what we've done is we've acquiesced that position and the government has taken that on and uh, oftentimes robbing the church of that role. Is the church um, stepping up and doing it? Wait a minute, brother, you said robbing the church of that role. Uh, I'm a member of a church, I'm active in ministry. I do all of this, right? especially with young disenfranchised youth. I make sure that there's a bridge between their societal dysfunctions that may exist and opportunities that we need to present to them. Cuz I benefited personally from those opportunities as a teenager myself and I know what they can do. So when you say opportunity has been robbed from the church, please tell me where the church has been adhering to the discipline of feeding the hungry or taking care of those that have been um, harmed by government. Remember, brother Jesus, 
He didn't have a ministry talking against gay people. He had a ministry talking against government corruption. He had a ministry talking against religious corruption. He didn't have a ministry talking about bare arms. He had a ministry talking about treat people better. So explain to me how that is in alignment to Republican ideology, dear brother. Yeah, so I mean, first off, just to just to clarify from my standpoint, you know, Jesus did define marriage, you know, as a man and a woman. That was the definition given throughout Scripture. We That's not see- true. The first definition we have of marriage, Pastor, in Scripture, allowed for multiple wives and even concubines, which were elevated prostitutes. I, I would say that's the first reference as a pastor that we have of marriage in Scripture is in the Garden of Eden, where that, there was the Lord no, says sir, that, that a man no, shall leave his father and mother. No, sir, that was actually not a marriage, that was a union. A marriage is a consecration of a contract in front of witnesses. Look up the etymology of the Hebrew word marriage, you will see that I'm correct. I, so, I, think, I think most of church history would disagree with you on that. Is it, okay, you can look it up, come back to me. Is it a marriage when individuals in scripture were allowed to have more than one wife? They defined it, you say, okay, it was defined as one wife, one woman, one man. That's not what the Old Testament says. That's not even ancient compared to traditional marriages. And they were still engaged in marriages that were set up. They were arranged marriages. That's another formation of marriage. So explain to me how we get to the New Testament one man, one woman as, as traditional marriage. When a man being able to have way more than one woman was more traditional than that. Yeah, it says in Hebrews 12 that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So what we see in the law of Moses is a shadow of the good thing. The good thing that the, the wait a minute, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, hold on. Let me preacher. just finish this point. The, the perfect picture picture of marriage that we have is Christ and the church. So okay. we see we see that one union of the church yeah. and that bridegroom of Christ. That is the picture of marriage that all marriage should be represented by. Pastor, let me ask you this question: Do you think it's possible that the reason why men could have more than one wife? in the Old Testament Christian scripture and women could not. It's because all men wrote the Bible. You think that may have had something to do with that obvious hypocrisy? I, I don't see when I read scripture a, a push or encouragement for multiple wives. In fact, the examples we see with Solomon and, and David and others is multiple wives typically got them in trouble and took the nation of Israel off the path that was supposed to be on. So I don't see this as something that's celebrated in scripture and encourage you know, maybe the way that's being implied. Now, scripture is one dynamic, I completely disagree with you because it was cultural to the era. It was culturally acceptable, legally acceptable and spiritually acceptable to have more than one wife as a man in Old Testament scripture. It was not acceptable for a woman to do the exact same thing. Tell me why. Uh, look, I, I think there's opportunities in the law of Moses for for women. We can certainly, you know, talk about uh, uh, some of the, you know, some of the challenges, you know, in understanding these passages. But mm-hmm. I think again, well, the biblical paradigm of marriage uh, brother, goes back explain to explain them to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's here, here's where I believe Scripture. We have to start with an understanding of marriage. Okay. And I know that you refer to this as a union, but this is my this is my viewpoint, and my study of Scripture is the marriage between Adam and Eve. What we see is that Eve came from Adam's side, from his rib. She didn't come from his feet for him to walk on her, and she didn't come from his head in order for her to tell him what to do. She came from his side. There is a parallel 
uh, you know, compatibility. There's a, a, a they're a blessing to one another. And, and I think that is the paradigm that we see. And we have to, you know, evaluate the rest of scripture through what we call as theologians, the law of first mention. And that is the law of first mention for marriage. Okay. Definitively. All right, that's that's an interesting doctrinal note, uh, the law of first mention, uh, because even in scripture, the law of first mention contradicts itself. Do you know the Proverbs that says, um, do not answer a fool according to his own folly? Have you ever heard of that wisdom yes. text before? Yep. Do you know what comes right after that, Pastor? Uh, I think it's the verse about answering a fool according to his folly. That is, is that, correct. Is it contradicts itself within the same passage. It, it doesn't actually. Go when ahead. you contextualize the passage, what it's referring to is it's actually giving a, you know, see, people oftentimes, and this is the problem with legalism. See, and, okay. and what I'd like to talk about here today is that we have we have two sort of you know extremes of Christianity. We see legalism. Wait a minute, Christianity. Pastor, I want you to explain that text because you cited the law of first mention. The give, law give me of 10 first seconds mention. and I'll get okay. to it. All right, we have is. we have progressive Christianity on one side, we have legalistic Christianity on the other side. Within legalistic Christianity, the problem is just to take the text for you know what it says. It's just verbatim, you know, and not and not contextualize it. I believe what we're seeing in Proverbs and and and, and passages like you're referring to is we're seeing that wisdom is not just a a checkbox. That there are sometimes you should answer a fool according to his folly, and there's sometimes that you should not. Pastor. You are absolutely correct. What the scripture is saying is that you utilize judgment. Because while it says one thing, it contradicts itself on the other, saying to the reader, I need you to use your brain on when to apply one or the other. So the law of first mention is not a law that's universal in text, scripture, even by your own word. And you said these things require context, these things require context and that's why I submit to you that when you say this is the infallible word of God. Wait a minute, you're telling me the infallible word of God requires context? The infallible word of God requires interpretation? Well, it is not infallible then, it is simply a word because that's how we use words in this in this culture. And I, I, I would describe that a little bit differently. Okay. Um, I think that I think the Bible allows us to um, uh, to really approach it with wisdom through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, and that you know it's not this isn't a contradiction. I think it's explaining that there are sometimes we think like this, there's sometimes we address this like this. But what we don't see that about is we don't see that about marriage. We don't see the Bible say sometimes that marriage can be between you know uh, two men or two women. We don't see scripture say that about abortion. We don't see scripture say that about these other issues. But progressive yeah. Christianity has introduced a different version of Jesus that's contrary to the Word of God. Well. Uh, what did Jesus say about gay people? Uh, Jesus, Jesus, you, you can't make an argument from silence. You know, this no, I'm is, just asking what, no, 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 brother, real simple. What did yeah. Jesus say about gay people? What did he say? Uh, the New Testament speaks explicitly against. What did Jesus say about gay people, Pastor? Well, he defines marriages between a man and a woman. What did Jesus say about now, I'm sure there's not there's not a particular not verse a of thing. the words of Jesus. Nothing. But again, okay. if we're only saying the words of Jesus are scripture, that's where we're gonna have divergent views. Because I believe that Paul's words are also scripture, that Peter's words are also scripture. And I don't give weight to one other verse above another. All right, so let's I do this then. If you believe all of it, if you believe all of it is on the same, right? On the same power authority, all words. You also believe burning incense is an abomination unto the Lord. Do you believe that? I believe that what scripture teaches us based upon the New Testament 
is that okay. it shows us that we read scripture literally in context. All right. What I mean by that, I agree. Is it that, should be in context. That that scripture, that there are times that scripture, if it's a parable, scripture will tell you it's a parable. If it has been something that Jesus came and fulfilled the law and freed us mm -hmm. from the requirements of the law, scripture shows us that we have been freed from. All right, the we only got a few more minutes. I point taken. Uh, Jesus was considered a progressive of his time era. I would Correct disagree. Correct. Tell me what you not, not the way quickly. that we would define progressive. No, no, he sir. Was, he was countercultural. I'll give he, you that. He, he was counter-establishment. He was anti-government. He was adverse to the religious order. He was pro. He was pro-unity, but at the same time anti-individuals who were uh, corrupt. He, not he was also pro-personal responsibility. He was pro-truth. He was pro-basing your life upon. Do you the think word that? Okay, good, great. So you think that's what the Republican Party is doing with Trump and a big lie that they well, are I'm not here personal to responsibility. The Republican Party, I'm here to represent, you know, the word of God and, yeah, but, and really but, but you, brother, you wait a minute, brother. You wanted to talk about Democrats, Republicans, etc. You can't now say you don't want to talk about Republicans. You just express values connected Look, to I, I'm happy to talk all, about the Republicans. Republicans. Sir, all the Republicans in leadership right now, are they being truthful? I, I don't know every Republican in leadership, but what I can tell you is Donald a party Trump. platform. How okay, about Donald Trump? About party platforms. How about From Trump? From a party platform standpoint, uh, Christianity looks, uh, the Republican Party looks a lot more like Christian values than does <laughs> the Democratic Party. Wait a minute, I damn near fell out my chair. Uh, the Republican Party is full of white nationalists. Racist and individuals like Donald Trump. Can you define white nationalists for me? Because we I hear this term all the time, and I want to hear somebody clearly define this. I will clearly define it for you. A white nationalist is a person who cares more about the advancement of the white superiority complex in America than America itself. Does that okay, help so, you? Does well, that help? It, you? I guess it confuses me further. Right, I mean, right. when I hear the word nationalist, I think it's a dog whistle, you know, to to Nazism, to something like it is. that. It is. Um, it's all connected. Because yeah, and, and, and so let's look at. I mean, if you look at the, the the church in Nazi Germany, the Nazified mm -hmm. Christian Church, what they did is they they threw away scriptural truths. They switched the the, the Bible for Mein Kampf and the and the uh, cross for the swastika, and they began just spouting the agenda of the state of the All Third right. Reich. And My that's exactly brother. what we're seeing happen. I feel in the like I feel like you're filibustering, and I got one minute left. Okay, it's the your show. show. I'll give you time. All right, is Donald Trump? Lying, is he a liar? I, I I don't I don't have any quotes on that. I don't I don't work for Donald Trump, so I can't speak to that. Has he lied? I, I'm sure everybody's lied. Have you known Trump to say a lie in the public? No, I, I feel like that from what I see, um, uh, more often than not, when he says something, he does it, and that's that's one of the things. Has he I, lied you know, about one of the reasons I voted has, for him. So so Trump has, in your uh, interpretation, he's never lied about anything, correct? I think that that he tends to do what he says he's going to do. That's that's what I know because I don't know him personally. All right, um, I see who got your car, preacher. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Sir. Thanks for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely.